0: The MLB draft is over, and players have been graduating out of top prospect lists for a few months now. So let's hang out with Lindsey Crosby and not only talk about how the Twins fared in the 2023 draft, but also how the farm system looks heading into the trade deadline. This is Locked On Twins Live.
1: You are Locked On Twins. Your daily Minnesota Twins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team.
0: Every day. Hello again and welcome back to Locked On Twins. As you can see, we have a very special crossover episode with Locked On MLB Prospects. I'm your host, Brandon Warren, and you can, but maybe shouldn't follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And across the screen from me, our prospect guru. You can follow him at Crosby Baseball. It's Lindsey Crosby. What's going on, man?
1: Uh, it's, this is the time when I finally get to like sleep a little bit, you know, we had the MLB draft. Uh, mm-hmm. We just right after the College World Series, it's been this is like my one week when I kind of get to relax a little bit before we jump right back into it with the trade deadline coming up. So yeah, you, you caught me at a good time.
0: You're kind of like those NFL coaches that don't have to sleep in their office during the summer because it's only mini camp as opposed to regular season stuff. I but,
1: did fall asleep on that chair behind me
0: this afternoon. Yes. Oh, so I can't blame Jeff Ellis for <laughs> any of that. Uh, but again, thanks for making Locked On Twins your first listen every day. Also Locked On MLB Prospects. Mm-hmm. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast as well as on YouTube and of course part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. And as a reminder, we're not rolling live on this one, but if you come hang out with us during a live show, your comments may appear on the screen if they're good, which I would like to encourage. Also, too, though, if you want to be involved in the show, you can leave comments on YouTube. You can follow on any podcast platform that you like. But yeah, leave comments on Twitter at LockedOnTwins at Brandon underscore Warren. Send me a DM. We'd love to have you involved in the seventh inning stretch, which is the voice of the fan and... Don't forget, Locked on Twins, breathless post-game minutes as soon as possible after most games. And if you have not watched one of those yet, make sure you check out the very end of each one, which has a stat you won't see anywhere else. So I'm trying to think, the last one that I can recall was that well, Michael A. Taylor is one of three players who has a bunt, single, and a home run in a game this year. Uh, multiple games of that. It was TJ. Friedel and Tyro Estrada. So we're finding all kinds of fun stats for you folks to come hang out with and see at the end of each of these videos. But today's show brought to you by download <laughs> today's show brought to you by the game time app, easy for me to say, download the app, create an account, and use code locked on MLB for twenty bucks off your first purchase, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And it's Tuesday. So if you're looking for the Twins game tonight, get sipping on that coffee. Pun intended, as the Mariners are going to be facing the Twins at Safeco Field, 8.40 p.m. First pitch Tuesday. So if you, again, are in Minnesota, it's a late one. Bailey Ober against Brian Wu. And Lindsay. what do you think of seeing players born in the 2000s? It makes me just about want to start putting down a a deposit on a burial plot.
1: It's something where, you know, I think about, like, I'm still a young guy. I'm still young and vibrant and everything. And then I, you know, I think about guys who are my age in MLB, and it's, oh, he's the oldest player in the league. You know, it's a yeah. miracle he's able to still walk out there. And I'm like, oh, man, this is this is rough. Uh, but <laughs> impressed, excited to watch Seattle's uh, young pitchers. They have a tiny young young arms. They've been letting the kids play, and it's been fun to watch. So going to be a fun one on Tuesday
0: night. Yeah, and if you can't be fun, you should be interesting. Or if you can't be interesting, if you can't... If you can't be good, you should at least be interesting. The Mariners are kind of closer to interesting than good right now, but I still believe in the talent. Just hopefully not until the Twins leave town. But if you want to catch every pitch of the Twins hometown broadcast, uh, last I checked, it was Chris and Danny. I don't know if Corey is back on the road with the team or if he'll pick them up at home. But you can catch every pitch of the hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Twins. And we're going to dive right in, though, because time's wasted. We've got our friend... Lindsay Crosby here. And Lindsay, for the fans who do not know your uh, your role or what you do here at Locked On, uh, Locked On MLB Prospects, how'd you get into this? How long have you been doing it? And what's your favorite thing about it?
1: Yeah, so uh, I I took over Locked On MLB Prospects January of 2022, right? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm a year and a half in now, and it's been a ton of fun. What I love is that I get to do the same thing as everybody else at locked on as far as, you know, be, uh, uh, be a fun voice and get to talk about these players and everything. But I'm a little bit different because I'm not tied to one specific team. I have such a wide purview that I can talk about where I get to focus on the good. Like we, on my show, we just assume that the guys we're talking about are going to make it to MLB. And mm-hmm. the most likely outcome for any prospect is that they never play in the bigs? It's like 9% of all drafted players play in MLB. But what's great about uh, what I do is no matter what, there's always another prospect to talk about. So I always get a chance to talk positively versus, well, this guy's probably not going to make MLB. Because in reality, most of them aren't going to make MLB, and that doesn't make for a very fun show. So I like the the, the ability to bring in positivity at all times.
0: What I've found with minor league stuff too... And again, my coverage has been strictly major league, not only with locked on, but before that, doing my, my beat report stuff. Um, When you talk about players who are younger, not as well known or that kind of thing, one, you can foster some interesting relationships, but two, you will get a a captive audience from their family because they're still kind of trying to hear everything they can about this guy at double a living in a city they've never heard of with a host family. And if this guy, didn't have a big bonus he's scraping to get by and I don't mean to romanticize the fact that these guys aren't paid enough but I mean it's a very interesting conduit between you and the family with that player with the coverage you give them and it's amazing with my twins coverage I've been very popular with wives (laughs) and mothers and if you say enough nice and or honest things and sometimes it's not always the same thing you can get into their good graces pretty quickly. Like for instance, this necklace I'm wearing, Royce Lewis's mom makes these. Again, sometimes it's just sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, that's the thing that that kind
1: of took me by surprise. I started off covering college baseball for Sports Illustrated, covering covering the Auburn Tigers, and I still do that. And so it was a lot of it was a lot of parents, right? A lot of moms, a lot of dads, things like that. And then when you get into the prospects, for a while, it's still the moms and dads. They're mm-hmm. still in your Twitter mentions. They're still in your DMs. And it's kind of cool. And then as their kid makes it up to MLB, there's enough other people talking about them where they find their other sources of news and they're no longer able to just, like, they don't have to hunt to find news about their kid. But it's, that's been the fun part that I didn't really think about when I got into sports as far as, you're going to be talking to a lot of parents. You're like, going to have a mm-hmm. lot of moms in your Twitter mentions and things like that. And they're always great. It's just kind of, I never really thought about that. But note, having noticed that is another reason why I tend to be a little more positive, right? (laughs) Is because I know that, like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to talk about Charlie Soto's uh, pitch mix, but like his mom might listen to this. I don't want to say anything rude about her son. You know, like it's just, it's, that's just not a very nice thing to do. So
0: a a wise man told me that, um, there was someone I So Jerry Fraley was a beat reporter for the Rangers. And he told me the guy in my marketplace that I should watch was a guy named Patrick Royce. And he said, if you say something about a player positive or negative, you have to be able to look them in the eye after. So that's the thing for me is it was always hard to know for sure if I was ripping unnecessarily, but if I could look the guy in the eye and know that what I said in my heart of hearts is what I meant, you're going to be okay. So um, again, that's a brief dietary, but um, how long have you been doing this? Cause like, I have a question about how, prospect coverage has evolved over the years so i've been as far as professionally covering prospects now since
1: since 2021 it's been something i've always gravitated more towards minor league baseball than professional baseball i am a professional baseball fan i do watch mlb on tv but i've always probably the last 10 years or so followed minor league baseball rather closely because being here in the southeast there's a ton of minor league baseball around and it's always fun stuff too the montgomery biscuits you know the, the biloxi shuckers the Uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, like it's tons of fun. And so it's been, I've been following it for about a decade, but I've been covering
0: it as a professional for about three, three, four years now. Okay. Cause I always wonder what it's been like. So I grew up in an era and I'm sure we're probably a similar age where there's a trade for a player and they got three minor leaguers. And you're like, cool. I have no idea who they are. I don't know if they're any good. (laughs) Twins call up a guy in 1993 and it's like, I don't know if he's any good. I've never heard of him. Um, now it's like, we know these guys, birthdays, pitch mixes, um, their fiance's name, what kind of dogs they have, like the, the, the change in the landscape. And, and I noticed that, I mean, I grew up, I cut my teeth on Moneyball coming out of high school. So, uh, baseball prospectus and all that, you know, it taught me a lot about how the game has changed in the last 20 years, but it's just, it's incredible to me how it, we just continue to progress down that road.
1: Yeah, we have more and more data on these guys. And as we have that, I feel like the base level of knowledge for just about everybody is significantly higher, right? You're no longer surprised by a guy when he gets called to the bigs. You know who he is. At the same time, it means that there are special people out there who are able to give us deeper insights into these players. And so what I'm finding is that the curve on everything's accelerated. Their development curve... Uh, their adjustment curve to MLB. Like a lot of these guys, when they get called up for the first time, there's already scouting reports for opposing pitchers on how to attack them. Mm -hmm. And that's something you didn't see back in the day. And so these guys have to adjust and react and change things so much quicker than players did 20 years ago. And I would argue that that makes the overall talent level of the sport higher. Mm-hmm. but it also makes things tougher on these prospects compared to prospects 20 years ago because we have all this information about what they're good at and what they're not good at and how to attack them and so yeah. it's it's tougher to be a prospect but you also have more awareness and recognition of exactly how tough it is
0: yeah and sometimes we can get into a paralysis by analysis where we think we know everything about these players and then they come up and you know it's a guy like Jared Kellenick who I'm watching on TV right now who needs time to you know figure things out lots of guys are those post-hype type sleepers now before we dive into the 2023 draft for your minnesota twins i've got one question and then we got to talk about game time who is your all-time favorite auburn tiger baseball baseball player i'm gonna say because
1: i understand my audience right now i'm gonna (laughs) say edward
0: Julian. nice well uh he's been as long as you're not asking him to pick up ground balls, he's been doing a pretty nice job for the twins. But um boy, he can rake. He is he has got quite a presence in the uh in the batter's box. There's no question about that.
1: Yeah, it's 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 one of the best like pitch recognition batter's eyes that I've seen in quite a long time. And I'm not saying that because he went to Auburn. Uh, while I, you know, while I've been covering the, the school just legitimately, I mean, led, I want to say he led all of the minor leagues for qualified hitters and, uh, an on base percentage walk rate last year. And yes, it's been a little bit of work trying to figure out where to play him defensively. His best defensive position may be DH, uh, but he's definitely shown that he can provide offense. He's got a little more pop. And I think everybody expected and his pitch recognition. He's one of the few players where, when he doesn't offer at a pitch, and it's called as a close pitch and it's called for a strike, I'm assuming the umpire's wrong, not that he's wrong. And like, there, there's not many players where you can say that.
0: Yeah, there's like this this audible wow. What did this hit or miss because the umpire was wrong? Um, game time. We got to talk about our friends at Game Time real quick. GameTime.co or the Game Time app. Do not put an M at GameTime.co very special website for you to check out but if you're stressed out looking for tickets in your area these are your guys download the app you can find sports tickets theater tickets comedy tickets i've i've looked through all kinds of fun stuff in the twin cities area um twins will be back in town always concerts at the target center and xl energy center but if you need these tickets in the uh the last minute you know sometimes you plan way far out in advance these ticket deals are right there for you up to the day of the event. You get flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy theater, you name it, they have it. And the game time guarantee means if you find a ticket in the same section and roll for less elsewhere, Game Time will give you 110% of the difference. So you can snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the app, the Game Time app, create an account and use code locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Again, create an account and redeem code MLB. That's all caps, one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now, we are going to dive into the draft here in just a second. But first of all, thanks for making us your first listen every day. I'm going to have some report cards for you. Hitters probably first, pitchers second on uh, the Twins to this point of the season. Also, Twins Mariners game two of the series at Safeco. 8.40 p.m. Tuesday, Bailey Ober against Brian Wu. Brian Wu should be interesting. I have not seen much of him, but Bailey Ober obviously has been one of the more unheralded pitchers in baseball this season. Didn't even make the Twins out of spring training, but looks great now. You can catch every pitch of the Twins Hometown Broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Twins, and we've been waiting for this one. Twins, with the number five overall pick, select outfielder Walker Jenkins, a high school player from North Carolina. Now, before we get into the draft, how about the Twins getting the number five pick in the spot they were in? It was kind of like fortuitous that they actually moved up because I'm here to tell you, if you're not aware of the Minnesota Timberwolves and their luck, every year there'd be a two player draft and they'd pick third. They'd have a chance for Shaq, and they'd pick second. A chance for Alonzo Mourning, and they'd pick right after that. You name it, they had the worst luck until they landed Carl Anthony Towns. So now the Twins get a little bit of that luck, and they land Walker Jenkins, who Doug Kavish told me on the show, I think it was last week, that there are some years where Walker Jenkins could have been a 1-1, and it would not have been surprising. How do you, how do you feel about that comment?
1: It makes perfect sense. And this class was it- – was extraordinarily stacked with college hitting in a way that we have not seen in a very long time. And this is all the fallout from 2020 where all, only five-round draft, so all of those prep guys that didn't get taken or didn't get their bonus demands met all went to college and they're now in this class. And so when you look at what Walker Jenkins does, he's probably, as far as the, that 2023 class of prep players, probably has the highest one, one of the highest power ceilings and one of the better hit tools. And so, like, between him and Max Clark, it's very much a, do you want, like, if you're taking Max Clark, that's the, the comparison to Dylan Cruz, a guy that's just very good at everything, doesn't necessarily excel at anything, just very good at everything, whereas Walker Jenkins was very much like Wyatt Langford. It's a it's outfielder, probably going to be a corner guy, but very good power, and I think Jenkins has the potential for a better hit tool ceiling than Langford had. Uh, wow. they, it is... It is Entirely possible that Walker Jenkins, if he hits all of the developmental milestones that you're expecting, that he is a 30-35 home run plus defending right fielder with a plus arm type of player in four years. The wow. question is, obviously, it's a development between now and then, you have to get everything right. Mm-hmm. And uh it's, it's something where we have a smaller sample on him right now because of some injury issues and things like that. The Hammett, I think. Yeah, which is an injury that has slowed a lot of hitters down. And he still put up good testing numbers despite recovering from the injury. So you feel good about that. And to top it off, everybody that I've talked to that's met him, that's just talked to things with him have said, like, he's an 80-grade human being. Like, he's Mm -hmm. just a very, very uh, well-spoken, very nice young man, very humble, very, very baseball savvy. And so that definitely helps as far as giving you a person to root for, but also helps you feel good about the development. Like it's, it's something where it feels like he has the potential to bond with the city, kind of like how Joey Votto has with Cincinnati. And he's become like an icon in the city. Walker Jenkins from what people I've talked to feels like he has the potential
0: to be that for the Minnesota Twins. So Doug Vinkavic played major league baseball with Denny Hawking with the twins. And Hawking was the USA U18 coach last year. I, I believe it's um is it Kadire this year, I think. I? Uh but anyway, so Hawking actually has two twin daughters who are in college. And so I, I don't know if he meant them specifically, but he said to Doug, he's like, This is the kind of guy you would let take your daughters out. Like, this is what Walker Jenkins <laughs> is like. He's that kind of person you would be happy to let him date your daughter he's an a++ guy and he said too the fact that he dealt with that hammock to where he couldn't be as involved with u18 as he would have liked um doug said that he heard that it was just an um everyone was just bawling when he was talking about how much the game meant to him and how he wanted to go and so uh yeah it sounds like the twins got an a++ player there um Radcliffe, Mike Radcliffe also wrote something up on him before he passed away. So it sounded like even the main voice of the Twins for all those years had his fingerprints on this one. And, and, and you can tell me this is crazy, but um, I asked Doug for a comp. And now I know prospect types, scouts, everyone abhor comps. And I get that. That's fair. But for the average fan listening, they like to have something to kind of wrap their brain around. Right. And Doug said... Transcendent player, transcendent human, Larry Walker. He said I, he saw Larry Walker.
1: I think Larry Walker is a good, a good way to describe the type of uh, person he is, the type of game that he's going to have. Like, that feels like a really good one. Now, I, and I'm sure he's he's the same way of this. Very careful about making sure people don't think.
0: The expectations for his performance should be the same as Larry Walker. Oh no, he yeah, yeah, yeah. hates comps. He's, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's I said I bet you hate comps, and he's like, "That's exactly right. I hate comps. I will indulge you." And I was like, "No, I know. I've talked to so many baseball types who hate them, so I get it." Yeah, yeah, but
1: like the the type of of game, the type of personality, everything that he has, the the ability to potentially be a generational type player, mm-hmm. Larry Walker is
0: a really good comparison in that regard. I do like that a lot. Nice. So Charlie Soto goes with pick 34. MLB had him 28th on their board. But what I saw, I think it was Keith Law said that 10 years ago, uh, we'll see if I remember this correctly. He said 10 years ago, Soto probably would have gone higher with his pitch mix repertoire, et cetera. Now, does that mean to you that's what teams valued more back then? Does that mean something different? Because when I see the measurables and the repertoire and stuff, and the fact he doesn't turn 18 for – Another six weeks. Um, there's a lot to like here, but I don't. I'm trying to understand what Keith's saying there as far as he'd have gone higher ten years ago. Yeah, so he he definitely
1: fits the model as far as age. I think what Keith's referring to, and you know, not so speaking for him, but having yep. uh, done a lot of his work for a while, is when you look at what Charlie Soto does right now. It's very much it's fastball, slider, changeup,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: a lot of the modern analytics look at the movement on your slider. Charlie Soto's slider is a little bit of a shorter, kind of a biting slider versus mm-hmm. what's in vogue right now, which is the big sweeper. And then the changeup is considered to be one of the, by, by a lot of the analytics, to be a lesser effective option versus a, a, a breaking pitch. Yeah. And so I think what he's saying is, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we don't have all that advanced information and this idea of what makes a perfect pitcher, we look at Charlie Soto, he's sitting mid-90s, he touches 98, he's got this great slider, this change-up. That's a guy you're probably taking top 10, top 15. Mm-hmm. But one, there's been so many teams burned by the prep pitchers not working out that they fall down the board a little bit. They always fall down the board every year. Plus the fact that the modern analytics... Prefer, Like, for instance, they prefer fastballs up in the zone versus the sinking fastballs. They prefer, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of a a short biting slider, they want the big sweeper. And so, because of the types of pitches he throws and the combinations, it's not, by some teams, seem as the optimal pitch mix. So that's why he may fall back a little bit to the the second pick for the Twins compared to 20 years ago when we didn't have Trackman and StatCast.
0: So when you enter a national park, they have like a color coding system for forest fires. Mm -hmm. I want to know what your color coding system says for the danger that Charlie Soto becomes a reliever. Okay. So it's really interesting
1: that you, you, you mentioned that the things when I watch Charlie Soto, what I see is the fastball. He sometimes gets a little bit of erratic with his placement of it. Right. So Mm -hmm. his, his command of the fastball. Uh, A lot of what I feel like his slider does is more so generating chase than getting swing and miss. But what I'm looking for when I look for reliever risk is I'm looking for how repeatable is the delivery? How stressful is a delivery? uh, And then how well do I see his combination of pitches that he throws being effective in a starting role when he goes a second and third time through the order? Right. Uh, I do think you're going to have to give him something else, some other type of pitch he's got. Fastball up in the zone. He has slider breaks one way, change up runs to the other. You need to give him something that breaks vertically and or get more movement on those two existing pitches uh, to get to a third time through the order. But mm-hmm. I do see him as a starter simply okay. because the arm action is looks like it's smooth and consistent. And he's young enough where you have the ability to develop some more uh, both in that pitch mix and another, like you know, a, a fourth pitch that gives you a little more vertical, vertical options to attack a hitter. So I, I, I like him as a starter. I've got it very, very low risk of becoming a reliever, uh, except for the whole fact that he's eight. You know, he's not even eighteen yet, yeah. and you never know what's going to happen with these guys.
0: <laughs> in your in your circles, are the Twins regarded as a decent pitching development organization? They're not seen as one of the top
1: five, but they're not seen as bad either. Okay, and it's something where where. I think what everybody's waiting on is that really big success story, right? right? You have all of these guys that have come through and, you know, before the mics came on, we were talking about some of the current rotation now of Bailey Ober and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that what a lot of people are waiting on to put the twins up into that top five or top 10, along with the Braves and the Rays and the Dodgers and the guardians mm-hmm. is that big breakout, like Cy Young candidate guy coming out of this farm system. And they haven't really seen that yet. The pitchers that are there obviously are very good, but four of the five were trade acquisitions and in essence were already major leaguers or close to major leaguers Mm -hmm. when they came in. And so I think that's kind of like, Billy Ober's the only one of the five in the rotation right now that was drafted by the Twins. So I kind of think that's part of what uh, the prospect apparatus, as I call it, is looking for to go ahead and say, all right, yeah, the Twins are as good as
0: we thought they could be at developing pitchers. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so third round, or third pick, second round, Luke Keishol from Arizona State. Did I say that right, Keishol? Um I believe so. That's like the worst, like I'm the worst
1: with names, but I believe yeah. that's right.
0: So second baseman, you don't see a lot of those guys go early in the draft just due to positional, the positional spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you had 30 seconds to sell me on him, though, like how would you do it?
1: He's played outfield as well. Did it at the okay. Cape, and okay. so I think you've got versatility: center field, left field, uh, second base. Good, okay. good speed, good defensive actions. The thing that's been holding him back is the arm. Offensively, if he de- he has some pull side power, if he can mm-hmm. get a little more uh, all fields power, you've already got a good pitch recognition, a good ability to barrel a ball, uh, fast bat, quick hands. It's all a matter of raising the power. Ceiling. If you do that, you've got a guy who can play in multiple positions for you and make an impact offensively.
0: Yeah, that's that's certainly a, a reasonable reason to pick him that high. I want to dive into the Twins farm system presently just for a little bit before I let you go. Are you still doing okay yeah. on time? Yeah, 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 we're good. Okay, so Royce Lewis just graduated off the prospect list. He's again hurt, which has been obviously an issue throughout the duration, but mm-hmm. that means Brooksley is consensus, no matter what number one prospect. Uh, I mean, I, I could see someone really being bold and putting Emmanuel Rodriguez on there, but I think that's way too bold for me. Uh, Brooksley, what, what are your thoughts of him? Because I feel like, again, the twins really benefited from a player falling to them at a spot where it was like, great, we'll take this guy. We'll be happy to have him. And, uh, you know, I think he's got like 29 doubles in double a now. He had a huge game last night. Um, he's looking great. Yeah, I've been I've been really impressed g- coming
1: into this year. A lot of the conversations on him were what was his, what was his defense going to do? Could he stick it short? Or would he have to move to third base? Obviously, he's kind of blocked at both locations. And yep. except for the whole you know Royce Lewis getting hurt thing, but his range has looked better than we thought it would. His hitting his his hit tool has been as good as advertised, and I think he's had better power than we expected. So, provided he can stay healthy, he feels like a guy that could could potentially bat 300, but could also give you, I'd say, 15 home runs, maybe 20, which mm-hmm. is more than maybe you necessarily expected when you drafted him out of Cal Poly in the first round. Uh, I do think that he's better as a lefty than a righty, and I think this, 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 the, the, the platoon splits kind of bear that out as well. His right-handed swing isn't... It's more... He could pull the ball better with it, but it's not necessarily as smooth and fluid as his lefty swing. Uh, but still, he's still going to bat 300. It doesn't necessarily matter which side he uses. Uh, but I'd kind of be into just him batting lefty full-time. Could, could he be like,
0: well, I guess this guy's career has had two very separate spots, but like a poor man's Alex Bregman, or am I kind of just off the mark there? No, I I
1: think it's a... It's a good comparison. A lot of players, when they first get up, they have, say, one power ceiling. And then once they're at MLB and they're in the professional environment, not necessarily the minors, but the professional environment with the better working conditions, better nutrition, strength, and training, they hit another level of their power Mm -hmm. development. And I think that Brooks League is the kind of guy that could come up and acclimate well. And then as he gets a little bit older turn into a different type of hitter and get more power out of his current profile. I think he, his slugging right now in A Wichita is like 468. And it feels like he something can probably that. do something between that and 500 at the major league level after he settles in and learns his stuff works against major league pitching.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um Of the top prospects, let's say like Emmanuel Rodriguez, how... How exciting is his ceiling? I mean, again, I know he's a ways off. He's only 20. Um, and we haven't gotten to see as much of him as you might have liked just due to different things here or there. But I feel like, you know, I had a friend tune me into him about two years ago. Uh, this is a baseball card collector, former MLB agent. And so he's kind of at the forefront of these things. But um, let's just say my kids will be able to go to college if Emmanuel Rodriguez blows up. <laughs> I think Rodriguez has probably one of the highest
1: ceilings of anybody who you didn't draft this year in the system. The question is going to be one, health, and two, fine-tuning that approach. He's got a very, very good eye at the plate, kind of like Edward Julian does. But the issue with it is, for too long this season, he was very passive at the plate. Like, he was waiting on the perfect pitch Instead of just a good pitch. And so he would get into a disadvantage count. Now he has to expand the zone and chase. He He struck out too much, things like that. But when his approach is dialed in, when he, when he when he gets to that second level of pitch recognition, which is not ball versus strike, but strike versus drivable pitch I can do damage on. Mm-hmm. When he gets to that point, which I think he's close to doing... Yep. The ceiling is absurd for Emmanuel Rodriguez. Uh, the fact that he's got the plus arm kind of helps with that. I do think it's going to end up being a right fielder versus a center fielder, but yep. something where, I mean, he could be a an all-star caliber uh, right fielder who hits 30-plus home runs in a year, has a high batting average, walks 20% of the time if wow. he is what we think he is. And if he, all of this stuff projects to the major league level, now that's the 99th percentile outcome, but either way, the hit tool was very good. The power tool is very good. It's just, can you fine tune the
0: approach where you can get both of those into games? Would it be better? Uh, so obviously a development in the minors, the mi- the umpires aren't as good down there. Um, so looking for that fine, perfect pitch also falls apart because the zones aren't as consistent. I would suspect, mm. Um so if he was with big league umpires in a big league strike zone, do you think that would be a different scenario where he could probably afford to be a little more picky with his his pitch selection? Or is it more just he's got to reel in that skill set at this level and then progress?
1: Well, he's kind of learning a bit of that now. He was in Fort Myers last year in single A. And in yep. in the Florida League, they had automated balls and strikes last year. And mm-hmm. so you could see, you know, he oh, goes true. from from rookie ball, he batted 214 in rookie ball. And then Fort Myers last year, he batted 272. And then now in Cedar Rapids and high A, back to human umpires, he's batting 212. And so he's having to make that adjustment himself yeah. right now and figure this out. Uh, I do think that as you go up the ladder, obviously the things that we kind of assume will get better, we assume defense will get better for the most part, it does. We assume that, Uh, uh, balls and strike calls will get better. They usually Mm -hmm. do. And so a guy like him, I feel like the learning curve as he goes up a level isn't going to be as tough as a typical player's learning curve simply because he has an advanced recognition and he's working with pitchers who can better throw to the edge of the zone and umpires who can better call it. So it's not as bad for him as a lot of other guys when they move up, but it is a problem that you can see in the stats is affecting him now and affected him in 21 in rookie
0: ball where it didn't affect him last year in single A. Okay. You got time for two more? Yeah. So I see a lot of wild cards in this system right now due to injury, whatever. Uh, Who do you like best of kind of these wild cards or what do you like about these guys? Connor Prelip out for the rest of the season. Austin Martin has not been able to stay healthy. Matt Cantorino has not been able to stay healthy. And Jordan Balazovic had an ugly season last year, but is now in the big league bullpen and is actually they're having him throw some innings that you might not expect a guy who just came up to be throwing. Again, it hurts that Caleb Thielbar is hurt. Jorge Lopez isn't who he needs to be yada, yada, yada um, of those guys. Like, do you feel like those guys can still carve out big league careers despite the fact that they've hit some road bumps? So I got some video of pre lip
1: in rookie ball doing some starts as, he, as he's coming back from Tommy John uh, the thing about him, like he, he's the one that I like the most from the group. And the thing I remember about Connor Prelip is he's going to be a weird development case because he's 22, but because of the lost 2020 season in college and then the timing of his Tommy John, he got 28 collegiate innings in three years. And so mm-hmm. it's very much the development curve of a high school player, but his stuff from what I have been told of the readings in rookie ball, his stuff is just about as good as it was like before he had the surgery. Mm -hmm. So he's got the highest ceiling as far as the stuff he throws, the fastball running up to 96, 97, the changeup, the tons of spin on a slider, like 3000 RPM slider. I mean, fantastic stuff, but he's also got a lot of the risk because he's 22 and he's in essence starting his development. He had his first start just the other day and I think it was either high A or low A. And so, high A, Cedar Rapids. And so the development curve is definitely behind, but he has the highest ceiling of anybody that you mentioned simply because the stuff is so good. He's been away from the game for reasons outside of his control. And he still has, now that he's past Tommy John, provided there's no other catastrophic arm injury, he still has the ability to reach that ceiling we thought he did.
0: Now, the last one is, so we saw a year ago, the Twins trade Cade Povich. They trade um, Steve Hajar. You know, some of these guys that have come up in the system and more pop-up guys, which again, I think speaks back to the idea that they want to develop their own pitchers. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any guys like that this year that you're like, oh, hey, I'm really keeping an eye on this guy? Because, you know, I think of, I I looked at David Festa's numbers and they weren't as good as I was kind of hoping. Marco Raya was really good. And then got the bump to double a, um, so Cantorino's out. We're not seeing anything from him. Enriquez just finally got healthy. Are there pitchers kind of creeping up that list where you're like, oh, Hey, this might be the next guy that seeks into that top 10. Cause I know a lot of people like CJ Culpepper, uh, Sean Mooney. Is-, is there anybody who stands out to you like that? I've got somebody who's
1: not on the top 30, yep. but is somebody in prospect circles. There's a lot of talk about because of how unique he is. And that's Corey Lewis. So Ooh. 2022 ninth rounder yep. out of UC Santa Barbara, and the big thing for Corey Lewis is he's not a knuckleballer, but he has a knuckleball. So uh, fastball, slider change, and then he has a powered knuckleball. And in his 14 starts across A ball and high A, he has a combined 229 ERA with 81 strikeouts in 63 innings. And he's not your traditional RA Dicky Tim Wakefield knuckleball guy. He's not throwing it three fourths of the time, but he's got it enough to mix it in. And just mm-hmm. it's it kind of functions in essence as a super off speed pitch, right? Okay. But a guy that not really heralded, nobody really was expected a ton out of him, but he's got the physical frame, 6'5, 220. He's got the stuff and he has the results where he is on the radar of a lot of major league teams around the trade deadline. If there's deals to be made, he's going to be asked for, and he's probably valued higher by MLB teams and the prospect apparatus than he is by the average fan, so you at least need to know his name. Put some respect on Corey Lewis.
0: You know what? I was muted there. I'm an idiot. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. I want to know what you're up to next on uh, Locked On MLB Prospects. We are actually
1: talking on Friday with our friends from Locked On Angels about a trade for Shohei Otani. We're looking at Otani trade packages, which systems have the top tier prospects and the, uh, the major league team that's competitive to make a deal for Shohei Ohtani. So it's going to be a very excited episode on Friday. Obviously, tons of draft stuff coming up the rest of this week, but I'm very excited for that episode.
0: All right, well, that's all we have time for here for Brandon Warren, for Lindsey Crosby. This is Locked On Twins saying adios, and we'll talk to you soon.